text. Now, I know that's not an obvious title for a prayer series, right? Call or text. But what is calling on your phone or texting somebody else? You're connecting, right? You're connecting with that other person. You're communicating with that other person. And what is prayer? Prayer is communication, right? Prayer is connecting to God. Now, most of us, right, when we view God and when we we think about God, we think about Jesus, right? And we know that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, right, is the Son. He was part of God that came down in flesh to represent him. We, when we read through the Gospels, we see how, you know, God is, his nature, right? If, if God was a human, which he did, he came down in human form, how would he interact with us? Would he shame us? Would he yell at us? What would he do? So as we read through the Gospels, we see the human part, the nature of God and how he interacted with us. So we see that God loves everyone, right? How he he talked with the woman at the well who had been married five times, and if you, you can read that in John chapter 4, and, and we see him getting mad at the religious people, right, and overturning tables at one point and saying, don't put so much burdens on people, don't make people see, feel so guilty and shame, don't make, don't make a relationship with, with God, with me, so impossible for people. So we love Jesus, that part of God. And so at the end of last week, as we were talking about prayer, I touched on the fact that most of us as Christians pray to Jesus, don't we? Right? We, that's the part of God that we can relate to the most. But Jesus, right, as he came down in human form, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is one part of God. There's also the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, was his spirit that he was releasing when he went back up to heaven. And so now, and we would always have God with us. We could receive the Holy Spirit in us. We can call on the Holy Spirit. We can talk to the Holy Spirit and have him fill us. But most of us don't really pray to the Holy Spirit, right? We might, there might be times where I'm like, Holy Spirit, fill this person, right? And I'm asking God's Spirit to come in and, and to be with that person. But we don't, most of us don't have this habit of, you know, when we go to pray, oh, Holy Spirit, you know, do this. Why? Because we see the Holy Spirit's function. We understand what it is, but we know that that's not who I'm going to in prayer. So typically, I don't have people say, oh, I pray to the Holy Spirit. Now, just because we do things and we have traditions of doing things, I always say, is this biblical, right? Growing up, I used to always hear, um, godliness is next to holiness. That's what my mother used to say that, right? And so because I had a messy room, she'd throw that in my face all the time and always make me feel bad. And, and I remember talking to my pastor one time and said, now, where's that scripture? I, maybe if I write it down and post it in my room, my room will be cleaner. And he's like, Mary, that is not a Bible verse. <laughs> he's like, that is something your mother tells you because she wants to have you have a clean room. But that's not a Bible verse. Really? You know, it's kind of like that saying, like, God helps those who help themselves. You know, and it's like, oh, where's that in the Bible? That is not in the Bible, right? So, like, you know, some of these things that we do, these church traditions or that we say or we believe, you know, it's, it's like people have done these for years, but it's not biblical. It's not what God wants for us. It's maybe something culturally we've done. And so culturally, we've gotten into the habit of praying to Jesus. And so I always say, what does the Bible actually say? 
Did Jesus come so that we can have a relationship with the Son, just the human part of God? And he came to actually restore our relationship with the Father part of God. Now, why would God want us to relate to him not as a human being and not as a spirit, even though he, he is these things, and he came down and represents himself in these ways, why would he want us to be relating to him as the father? Now, if you grew up with a bad father experience, you're probably going to be like, I don't want anything to do with God the father. Fathers leave me. Fathers abandon me. Maybe fathers aren't there for me. Maybe fathers abused me, right? And so you wouldn't want to relate to a father figure, but, you know, as you read the story of Jesus and this kind person and this person who, you know, seemed like a great big brother, you know, maybe you would want to relate to that. But see, God came and when he had Jesus come and explain our, what we could have, a relationship with God, it was a father-child relationship that he kept describing. And so even though some of us have had bad earthly father experiences, and not all of us, but some of us, he still wants us to have a good father experience with him. And he wants us to see him as a loving father and not as this great deity in the sky who doesn't care about us. But if when we look at God, we can relate to him as somebody who would care for us just as like a father would for a child, then all of a sudden it changes our perspective. Now, this is going to date me. That's okay. And I'm probably only going to now talk to about half of the audience. So anybody who's under the age of 40, I apologize. Bear with me. Okay. But if you remember the original Annie movie, does anybody remember the Annie movie like with um, Daddy Warbucks, right? Like the 1984 version of this, back, you know, back a ways. And you have little Annie, and then you have this personal secretary of Daddy Warbucks, Grace, right? Does everybody remember this movie? Does anybody remember what I'm talking about? So Grace is this woman, and she's very kind, and she's like this assistant to Daddy Warbucks, which is this very rich, kind of rough guy, you know, obviously in the play or movie, they call him Warbucks because he made money selling whatever to the government for the wars that they had gone through. But Annie is this orphan, and so Annie has this hope to be, reuni be reunited with her mother and father. But she's been this orphan, and she's lived this hard knock life, right, if you remember the song. And she's, she's kind of a little rough around the edges herself. Well... When Grace goes to the orphanage and says, we want to help an orphan for this week, you know, they're kind of doing this for a PR reason, and they're bringing Annie into the house, Annie doesn't relate well with Daddy Warbucks, right? She's kind of scared of him a little bit. She doesn't quite, you know, you know find this, in, oh, this grumpy old guy endearing. But she relates to Grace, and she gets along with the people that are in the house, but eventually, and if you have to watch the movie, go back and watch the original if you haven't seen it lately, by the end, she's looking at him as a dad, as a father figure, as somebody who loves her. And see, for most of us as Christians, the Bible tells us that when we first come to know Christ, we are like babies. And Paul, as he's writing and talking, he says, I have to give you the milk of the word. 
I have to just kind of give you what, you know, a baby can handle. A baby can't sit down to a big buffet and eat steak, right? He says, but as you grow, I will give you the meat of the word. I will give you something deeper. I will be able to teach you, and you'll be able to understand who God truly is. And this goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, and tonight we're actually going to be touching on that because we're going to be talking about the first time it was prophesied that a Messiah would come. But we go back to Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve would meet with God. It says that God would come down, and in the cool of the evening, they would talk. But it wasn't until they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that all of a sudden they recognized and realized that God was holy and grand and wonderful, and they were sinners, and they were just earthly people. And they had this knowledge, okay, God is good, and I can never live up to that. And then Adam and Eve wouldn't meet with God anymore. And then that was called the fall. They fell from a place where they could have a relationship with God, even though they weren't perfect. And so that's the first time it's prophesied, I'm going to send this Messiah, I'm going to send the seed of the woman, a virgin birth, to come and to restore what has now been lost. So because Jesus came, right, he then now is able to restore so we can have a relationship not just with a human version of God, not just with the spirit version of God, but with a God that is represented as a loving father who wants to bless his children. I don't know about you. You know, my dad died when I was 11, but when I was, you know, 9, 10 years old, I would talk to my dad much differently than I would talk to my teachers at school. I would ask my dad for things and trust my dad with things and, and, and go to him much differently than I would the neighbor. I'm just being real, right? There was, there was, I had this father. I had this father in my life that I knew would be there for me no matter what, that would defend me with his life, that would provide for me and take care of me and would be there for me. And that's the type of relationship Jesus came to restore, that when we go to God, we know that he is there for me, that he will defend me, that he will protect me, that he will provide for me, that he will be there for me no matter what. So most of us, and you know, the Bible talks about calling out to Jesus or, or using the name of Jesus, you know, as we're dealing with, like, demonic things or covering ourselves with the blood of Jesus for healing and doing all these different things. We have this privilege and this wonderful thing that we can call on Jesus, but because of what Jesus did and because of what we believe in him, we also get to have this opportunity to have a relationship with a loving father. Now, we don't have to. We can still just talk to him. And that's totally fine. That's part of God. God understands. But my hope is that as we as mature as Christians, as we begin to understand who God is, that we understand the privilege and the right that we have to be able to have this loving relationship with a father who loves us. So we see here in the book of Matthew, you know, the disciples had asked, and, and we see it in Matthew, we see it in Luke, different places where the disciples were like, how should we pray, right? They, they knew that John the Baptist had explained prayer to their, his disciples and had given this format. So they had come to Jesus and they had asked him, and Jesus begins to explain to them how to pray. So we see it here in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. And Jesus says to them, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. 
Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will, re will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, obviously, he goes on. If you were to read through this entire chapter, he continues with the Our Father prayer, and he gives some parables and examples of this. But I wanted to stop here for a minute and talk about this concept. Now, you guys have heard me preach this numerous times, and you're like, oh, yep, yep, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But for these Jewish guys, this blew their mind. They had already accepted that Jesus was the Son of God and that Jesus was the Messiah. And when he came down, he referred to God as his Father. And that blasphemy is actually why the Jewish people put him on the cross. Ultimately, if you read through the end of the Gospels and it talks about the trial that Jesus had, they ultimately make the decision to kill Jesus because he was going around claiming that he was the Son of God. See, when... In that culture, if you were the son of someone, that means you were equal to them. That means as soon as they die, you're now the one in charge of this land, this estate, this wealth. And, and it was a big deal to claim to be someone's son. No other Jewish person had ever, ever referred to God as the father and them as a child. There was the children of Israel, because Israel was the name that they had changed from Jacob. These were the children of Jacob. But to say, I am a child of God. I am the son of God. And so these men had been referring to, wow, he's equal with God. He's the Messiah. He's the son of God. Hey, son of God. Hey, God. How, how do we pray? You pray to your father. Your father? No, no, no. When you pray, say, our father. He's not just my father, he is your father. And I want you to start seeing him as your father. And this is the beginning of him beginning to explain this. We'll see more in the book of John. But this totally blew their minds. Now, we, don't, we take it for granted. We, we have been told that we can refer to God as our father. And we can have this intimate relationship. And most of us have a hard time with that concept, understanding that. So... Jesus tells them when they're asked, you know, how to pray. He also, again, explains it more in the book of John. In John chapter 16, starting in verse 23, we see a little bit more teaching right before he goes to the cross. He says, in that day you will no longer ask me for anything. He's telling them, look, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to be gone for a few days. I'm going to rise again. You'll see me for a while, and then eventually I'm going to go up to heaven. And in that day, when I'm not here anymore, this is what you're going to do. In that day, you will no longer ask me for anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. But ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. 
No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from God. This is huge. He literally takes a minute and says, you're not talking to him through me and I'm going to go and tell him what you said. You, when you talk to God, he hears you directly. That was, again, mind-blowing for these guys. It was this concept that they, you know, was now being taught and explained that when you pray, you can pray, pray directly to that Father, just like Adam and Eve directly talk to God every night. Because of what I'm doing, I came to restore this so you can have a relationship directly with God. I remember talking to a friend one time, and, and she said, I kind of believe that at night I would say my prayers, and they would maybe rise up to the ceiling of my bedroom, and then they would fall back down on me. But if I was really earnest, and I was really like praying hard, and, and I had this like amazing day, I could really pray hard enough that maybe my prayers would reach to the clouds, and God would hear them. She goes, you know, and then, because we had done this study, and we had read this book, and we had talked about it, she goes, but I now finally get it. Because God's spirit is in me, and because I'm praying to the Father in the name of Jesus, now I can just say it in my head, and he hears it. And, and the Father who loves me is working on my behalf. Sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we don't understand it, right? Sometimes we, we have to be patient, and we, we petition and petition, but... He's working on our behalf. And just like sometimes our earthly fathers, right, you ask them for something and maybe they think like, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, wait till this perfect moment when this is going to happen. And they think they want it now, but just wait three months and when it happens this way, it's going to be so much better. Sometimes God sees the big picture, right? But because we are so impatient, it doesn't happen instantly. We think God didn't hear you know, Pastor Mary said he could hear us, but I don't know if I believe that. He hears us. He's working on it. You know, when we read through the Bible and we hear some of these stories about how, oh, they waited seven years and then everything came together, we think, seven years, right? I can't wait seven months, let alone, you know, seven years for something to come together. But what's interesting is what the lessons they learn between now and then, right, make a huge difference. I, I was just telling somebody the other day, 2013 is when we said we were going to create a dream center. There was actually people in the community that were telling friends of mine, oh, yeah, Mary has great ideas, but it never happens. Why? Because four years had gone by and we hadn't had a dream center yet. But then in 2018, we were able to secure this building, right, and then all of a sudden, now, now it's functioning. Now we're doing this, this thing. Oh, well, I thought you said when you had a dream center, you're going to have 20 different programs. You only got one program. Yeah, you got to be patient. You got to wait on God. You know, now four years later, now I got a whole list of programs that we're doing, and we still have a whole list of more that we want to do. But if I hadn't have given it to God and trusted him, if I would have gotten a building in 2013 for a dream center, it would have just been me and my husband, my four kids sitting in a building. But because I talked about it for five years, everywhere I went, I apologized to anybody who had dinner with me during those times, those years. Because you heard all about it, and you did this. I remember the one day we got the keys, and I remember putting on you know, Facebook and whatever, letting friends know, and all of a sudden, like, 50 people showed up. Now, do those all 50 people, are they here every Sunday? No, they're not. 
but they were people in the community that had heard my heart for five years, and they showed up on that day, and they scrubbed carpets, and they painted rooms, and even to this day, if I call them up and say, hey, we're having a special event, and I need help, they'll show up. So what is this an example of? For those five years while I waited on God, I grew. Other people heard. They came around, and then when the moment happened, I had everything I needed to make it come together. Now, your situation might be different. Maybe you are praying and believing for a house or for a different job or for something else to come around, right? And as you're waiting and as you're praying, all of a sudden this over here is happening and this over here is happening and this over here is happening. So then when it happens or maybe something different that you didn't even realize comes, right, everything lines up the way it's meant to be. But it takes trust, as we're being patient to believe that our Father knows what's best, and he's having it all come together. I love, though, how Jesus says that, look, you will no longer ask me anything, but you will go to the Father, and in that day you will ask in my name, and I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. People often ask, you know, how do I know if I'm saved? Is it because I don't sin? Like, if, if you were saved because you didn't sin, we wouldn't have needed a Messiah. All the Jewish people knew what the sins were. That, that was their goal, to not sin. No, you are saved because you believe in Jesus, that he is God, came down to save us. And he says, look, he loves you because you believed that I came from God, that you believe that I am the Messiah, right, from God, I'm here. So he loves us because when we believe in Jesus, we become then his children, become adopted in the family, and the Father loves his children, not because they do good things, but because they are his children. We're so used to earthly fathers where it's a conditional. Will you help me with this? Will you talk with, to me with respect? Then I will do X, Y, and Z. But an unconditional love a God love, a love from a father that is unconditional, he doesn't love you because you've done the right things. He loves you because you're his child. So as we look here, we, you know, Jesus, you know, Jesus showed us this. I'll just show you that real quick before we, we go into what happens when you believe in Jesus. Jesus shows us this in Mark chapter 14. He's, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. I, I mentioned this verse earlier. And he's crying out, and we see in verse 36, Abba, Father. Now, why do they put the Jewish word, that Hebrew word Abba, in there? Because even though they wrote this in Greek, they specifically put that word in there because they wanted to make sure that the translation was correct in what he yelled out. And he yelled out, Abba. Now, there's lots of words for a dad or a father, just like in English language, right? There's papa, there's daddy, there's dad, there's father, there's all these different words. But we know when a little child cries out, daddy, that that is very intimate, right? This is her father, this is her dad, but they cry out, daddy. And Abba, in that Hebrew language, was the most intimate, most childlike form of referring to a father. So we see Jesus, a 32-year-old man, crying out to him, Abba. It shows the intimacy. It shows that desire. It shows the, the needing, right, that father's attention. He cries out, Abba, Father. 
Jesus said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So here we see the intimacy that Jesus is having with his father. And, and they want, he wants us, God wants us to have that for him as well. The disciples and the apostles, as they began writing letters and telling the Christian church in all these different areas what to do, they wanted to make sure that they explained this clearly. We see in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14, and we believe that, you know, Paul wrote this letter to the Roman church. He says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Isn't that true? I mean, the Jewish people were always in such fear of, oh, am I sinning? Am I going to heaven? Am I going to hell? You know, and and the Pharisees would put all these burdens on them. And so many of us, even in modern-day Christian churches, we we fear that all the time. We fear, like, I'm not measuring up. I'm not earning God's love. I'm not. That's a bunch of hogwash. That's not what God's word says. Jesus came to set us free. Does he want us to sin? No. Why did God give us these rules then? Well, if, if, if I don't lie then people around me can trust me, right? If, if I'm not running off having an affair, then, you know, my husband's not going to want to leave me. Right? If I'm not murdering, then, then no one's going to want to retaliate against me. And that wasn't even the beginning of all the rules. There was over 300 different Jewish rules. Don't eat pork. Why? Well, back then, over an open fire, that you know, you get sick from eating raw pork. That's why we don't eat raw pork today, right? All these rules were given to us to benefit our life. But now that the Messiah has come, he's explained to him, look, you're saved because you believe in me. So it says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Paul is explaining, he's actually explaining this to a mixed church. There were some Jewish Christians who had been raised with the laws, and they were kind of you know, telling these Gentile Christians that lived in Rome that had never even heard of the Ten Commandments, let alone the 300 other rules. And a lot of the Jewish people that were raised by these rules would kind of make the Gentiles feel guilty for not measuring up. You know, people today will ask me, well, do you do this, do you do this, do you do this? And I'm like, you know, I'm not a Messianic Jew, meaning like I'm agreeing to live by the Jewish law, and I believe that the Messiah has come. I said, if I did that, then I would, then I would put myself in a covenant with these laws and these rules. And most of us, I mean, if you've got a shirt purchased anywhere than a homemade place, you've already broken one of the laws because one of the laws the Jewish people were told is don't wear clothing that has mixed fibers in it. Now you might think that's one of the stupidest laws I've heard of. Why did they tell them that? Well, they were in the desert for like, what, 30 years wandering around, 40 years wandering around. They couldn't go to a Walmart every time they ripped their shirt. And they had sheep with them and they would shear the wool. Well, wool shrinks. So if all of a sudden you have this other fabric over here, maybe you had gotten some silk when you were in Egypt, and you try to mix it in with the wool, and you put it together, and, it, and all of a sudden the wool shrinks and it ruins all that, your clothing's being ruined. So literally one of their rules was your clothing, when you make it, make it all the same material. So, well, if I made this for my husband, it shrinks. Well, at least now it fits my son. Right? At least it's not being wasted. That material's not being wasted. But if I would have mixed it with other materials and half of it shrank and the other half pulled apart, then it would have been ruined. 
So when I tell people, it's like, well, which law do you want to follow? Which one is going to really be the one that gets you into heaven, right? The one that says I didn't wear a shirt with different materials or the one that says I never had a bad thought in my head, right? Like, we're going to have these thoughts. So if our salvation comes then from simply believing in God, what does that mean when I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, right? And he came and he's here And it says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. It means I become his child. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's pretty awesome. So now we understand salvation is, comes to us because I believe in Jesus. And because I believe in Jesus, I now become a child of God. And I'm adopted by him. So now I can cry out, Daddy, help me. Just like Jesus said to do, I can cry out to the Father in the, his name. And I can ask for anything and he hears. And he directly wants to pour out his love on me. God loves you so much that he wants to help you. What's hard is for us to trust, right? You know, I mean, you talk to some people, and it's like you say, oh, my dad said he'd help me, and it's like, oh, do you think he'll do it? Oh, yeah, I trust my dad. If he gives me his word, he's going to do it. He's a man of his word. Then you talk to other people with earthly fathers, and you say, well, my dad said he's going to do this. Well, you think he'll do it? No. Now, that's just a testament of our imperfection as humans, right? And so we have to ask ourselves, am I taking human experiences, and I'm putting them on what I'm expecting from God? And I'm asking you to expect God to be the one that always keeps his promises. That's why that song is so cool, right? Promise keeper, miracle worker. Like, he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. Might not do it the way I want him to do it, but he's going to come through. And I just have to be patient and wait and see how it all comes together. We see also in Galatians, talking about the same thing here. In verse 4 of chapter 4, it says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons or daughters. God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child, And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So today I am reminding you what the word says. It's not what our Christian culture has told us per se. It's maybe something we haven't been reminded of in a really long time. But it's true. If you believe in Jesus, then you are a child of God. And you have now the right, as his child, to go directly to the father figure of God, the father part of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and talk to him directly in the name of Jesus and ask him for help directly in the name of Jesus. And you can expect him to hear those prayers and to help you, not because you are good, but because he loves you. And this is truly sometimes hard for people. I mean, literally... And, you know, I want you all to repeat after me, right? God, the Father. Can you say that? God, the Father. God, the Father. 
you know, sometimes it's hard for people to even just sit and pray, God the Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Or Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you for loving me as your child. I come to you today in the name of Jesus. To learn how to reprogram our brain to, when I pray, I can just say, Father, help me. Abba, Daddy, help me. I come to you today in the name of Jesus. And then to pray. It doesn't come natural if you haven't been taught that. But that is why God sent Jesus, is to restore our relationship with God. And not to just to see him as this human figure that came and that is this big brother, this cool guy. But for us to be able to be restored, to see God as a loving father who wants to help us not because I am good, not because I deserve it, but because I'm his child. I've been adopted. I deserve this because I receive this inheritance, and I am part of his family. Most of you know my story, but for those of you that don't, I was adopted at the age of five. My adopted parents um, had the opportunity to help out my birth mother, and, and I had been in their care since I was two days old from the hospital. And because I was legally adopted, guess what? I was entitled to an inheritance. I didn't go around the house and say, hey, Ursula, what's for dinner tonight? No, you know, I was, I was raised with them, you know, since the day I was two days old. It was mommy. It was daddy. I never thought, oh, well, you know, I don't know if I can ask for Christmas presents. You know, my brother... You know, who's their blood child, he's going to probably get twice as much as I get. That never, thought never occurred to me. I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this. There are probably times my older brother looked and said, you guys are spoiling that brat. Look at all you gave her. Why ask for it, right? I remember my cousins one time as adults telling me, you know, we'd, we'd come and see all the stuff you had, and we thought, oh, they're just spoiling her, Right? I, you know, with my own children, I got my oldest and I got my youngest. My youngest, the list is this long at Christmas time. My oldest, his list is this short at Christmas time. Why? Well, who gets more presents? Well, now as a love, loving, compassionate mother, I try to keep things equal. But I often think, like, she's asking for more. The things under the tree are everything she asked for, whereas with my oldest son, it's like, well, I got you the three things you asked for, and then I had to come up with a couple ideas for the rest, so I hope it's what you like. Now, what's the difference? They're all children. I was their child. My brother was their child. The difference was my attitude in approaching them. I had no fear in approaching my mother and father and asking them for what I really wanted. My youngest has no fear. Mom's not going to think of me any differently if I give her a list of 20 things versus two things. I'm gonna, she's going to love me either way. Now, I look out here on this congregation, and I think, do you all approach God the same way? No. Some of you, there's still some fear there. You think, well, it's probably okay for me to pray for my neighbor, but it's probably not okay for me to pray for myself, and I don't want to offend God, so I'll just pray for my neighbor. And I'm sitting here going, what parent doesn't want to know what's on your heart of their child and what they really need? Because what parent doesn't want to reach down and say, hey, can I help you with that? And God is no different. Don't be afraid to say, God, I need this. Father, I need this. Because a, a loving father wants to help you.
The big thing is, is can you stand in the mirror, look at yourself in the mirror, and say, you are a child of God, and your Father loves you. You can go to him and ask him for what you need. You can cry out to him in the name of Jesus, and he hears your prayers. That's what's hard, is for us to recognize that I can call him Father because I am his child. I can go to him with anything. Can I pray for you? All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the scriptures that we can read through it and it can explain to us things that maybe we're not clear about or we don't understand. Many of us has just prayed to Jesus or maybe our entire life. That's what we were taught and that's what we thought was right. And and Father God, help us to recognize that we're not in trouble, that we haven't done anything wrong, but now we have the full knowledge that yes, we can talk to Jesus, that it's God, he hears our prayers, but we also have the right and the ability and, and why Jesus came was to remind us that we can go directly now to the Father, that we don't have to see you, God, as only Jesus, that we can see you, God, as a loving Father who sent Jesus to bring salvation to us, that you are a loving Father who sends us the Holy Spirit to be in us, but that we can go directly to you, Father God, and that you see us as your child and that we can ask, and you will hear our prayers. Help us, Father God, this week as we pray. And uh, maybe sometimes we'll stumble, and we're not even sure who to pray to, and, but we know we want to pray to God. Reassure our hearts that you are a loving Father, and that we are your children, and that you want to mature our relationship to go beyond seeing you as something distant, but instead to see you as a loving father. Just as you had to help the Jewish disciples in understanding this new concept, help us, Father God. Accept and appreciate you for who you want to relate to us as, as a loving father. For those of us that have heart wounds with a father, restore us and heal us and help us to see you as someone who will always be there for us, that you will be that promise keeper, that you will be that miracle worker, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Help us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I hope all of you have a wonderful week. We've got lots of activities happening throughout the week. Definitely check them out on our Facebook or our, on our website. And feel free to head on down to the Blessing Shop if you are in need of anything. God bless everyone.